On this episode of Game Dev Hideout, Chris and Daniel talk with Max, the creator of Ruby and Rusty. Ruby and Rusty is a Game Boy Color style game, and it's a platformer in a similar tone to the early Mario games. Max was really fun to talk to because of his love for retro games. If you love retro handhelds, this is going to be the game for you. And yes, it will be available to purchase on cartridge. Then, after the break, Daniel talks with Brent, the creator of Final Profit. Final Profit was built in RPG Maker, but has a very different vibe about it because it's a shop RPG. After speaking with Brent, I was able to play the demo and found myself getting pretty addicted to the gameplay. Another thing that really stands out about the game is that it has a really smart sense of humor included with it. If you haven't tried a shop RPG before, you're going to want to check this one out. We hope you enjoy these interviews. Hello, and welcome back to Game Dev Hideout, your uh, premier source for game dev interviews. We're so excited you're back. I am Chris, and I'm joined today by Daniel, my ever-present uh, co-host. We're joined today by Max from... Do you do you have a, a gaming company or anything? Production company or anything that you go by, or just your name? Um, I mostly go by Max Oakland Games, but I do always put in the junipers in front of my games, too, because that's a little thing I do to, like, collect the creations of myself and other people I like. I love that. So we're joined today by Max Oakland Games as well. Uh, so you were just telling me about this in the Juniper thing. Let's let's make sure that gets in there. So you put that at the beginning of a lot of your games or a lot of your works. I know you make music as well. Yeah, like that's what I put for the record label on my music. And some friends and I have put music out through it. And we had a magazine for a while. I haven't really. You are done... doing lots of uh, uh, lots of things. I love it. Oh yeah, for sure. So today we're uh, we are gathered here today to focus on a uh, Ruby and Rusty Save the Crows. That's uh, the main game that you're you're pushing right now. So uh, tell me about that. It looks like kind of a platformer that's definitely a retro style. Yeah, it's a platformer that I made in Game Boy Studio. It's a real Game Boy game, but you can also play it on your computer, phone. Um, hopefully, I'm going to get it on consoles too. But it's also getting a physical release of a real Game Boy cartridge that you can play on a real Game Boy or Game Boy Color. I absolutely love that. So uh, there, you said a couple things. Um, what consoles are you hoping to get it on? Hopefully all of them. I was about to ask all the current ones, because when you're when you're putting it out on the Game Boy Color, like the actual <laughs> Game Boy Color, I'm definitely like anything. Everything is on the table now. Everything's a possibility. Um, so good. my second question uh, off that is why? Why? <laughs> I love it, but like, what? What made you want to? What made you say it's 2022? We need a new Game Boy Color game. Well, I was originally making games in Game Maker, and I've always been interested in retro style games. I've also been pretty obsessed with. The concept of making games that push the limits of consoles, I've always been really interested in watching videos about how games push the limits of consoles in the past and stuff like that. 
that's actually one type of video I pretty much always click on. And um, so that kind of influenced it. And then I found out about Game Boy Studio and I had been making little games in um, different kind, different engines. Uh, the game I was mainly working on was is just called Wink. It's one of the first, probably the first game I posted on my itch.io page, and that is for Mac and PC. So I was working on that, but I wanted to do some small, fun, like weekend-long projects for fun and also for promotional purposes. Uh, and I did one called Oh, I'm a Cat Now, I Guess, in Mosey, which is a lot like Bitsy. I don't know if you've heard of that. But it's a pretty popular way to make very simple games. Um, it was really influential on Playdate Pulp. Like, the games are really bare bones. But Mosey is a little bit more advanced. It has more colors and sounds and stuff. And anyway, over a weekend, I just made that game. And so I decided the next thing I wanted to do was, you know, try something else with a different engine. And I wanted to make a make of Wink, and I was I wanted to do it over a weekend, but ended up taking way longer than that. I'm still not done with it. And during the course of that, I got a lot more attention for that game than I did for the one that I was making for Mac and PC. So, uh, and I was enjoying it a lot. So I just put a lot of interest and energy into that. So I've been working on that for like I think two years, maybe or a year. But then there was this contest for a Game Boy game that um, had a big prize and I needed some money. So I decided to make Ruby and Rusty because we could use the engine, like I could use the engine of Wink, but I only needed to create like new levels and assets and stuff. So that's what made me decide to create a different game. And it wasn't until like a week or so before the deadline when I finally solidified my idea and I also moved across the country to California. So that was my first week in California. And I finished it up and um, I didn't win, unfortunately. But I decided I could probably polish it up. And a publisher had contacted me about releasing Wink, but I was already talking to another publisher. So I told them about this one and they said they'd be interested in that. So I've been finishing it up. I started. Ruby and Rusty, I think last October or November or December or something, and, and now it's almost done. Like, I'm still finishing some very small bugs, but for the most part, it's finished. Awesome. So I, I think I, I have to ask the burning question that people have. What does it take to release a game on a Game Boy cartridge in 2020? Like, at what what logistically, what does that look like? Like, how, how difficult is that? Um, what does that really mean? The most difficult part is uh, making the game, which can be pretty hard. Uh, like, if you know how to make games in a different engine, you have a head start, but there are very specific limitations and challenges in making a Game Boy game. And luckily for me, I found that to be a very fun thing to deal with. So it actually. What, what kind of limitations are we talking about? Like color display, sound display, things like that? Uh, memory, I'm sure, is a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the display is only 160 by 144 pixels, which is really tiny. You can only have three colors per sprite, and you only you can pick like you you can set 
in Game Boy Studio 2, which I'm using, you can have up to eight sprite palettes of three colors each, including the player. And so that's another thing. Game Boy Studio has additional limitations on top of the Game Boy itself because it's, you know, it, it's, it was under development, Game Boy Studio 2, and then they kind of skipped it so, uh, and skipped to Game Boy Studio 3, but I couldn't upgrade because I did a lot of uh, customization. So there are limits of Game Boy Studio 2 that are no longer in place, uh, but like one of them was sprites can only be 16 by 16, um, which is really tiny, and that means mm -hmm. all of your things have to be 16 by 16. So there are some situations where I put two sprites right next to each other and had them look like bigger sprites and you have to do it right or they won't move together so there's a lot of little details like that and then also there the background palettes there are six of them in Game Boy Studio 2 four colors each and you can paint the tiles in eight by eight squares so each eight by eight square can only have four colors creates a lot of challenge to like creating full screen graphics and stuff. Sometimes you have to lay sprites over top of it. Otherwise, there will be a weird color clash issue where some of the colors don't look right. Uh, so that's one of them. Also, the sound. There are only four sound channels, and one of them is a noise channel. And all of the sound effects also have to go through those sound channels. So if you play a sound effect and it, it's playing over top of music, we'll cut the music out for a second. So you want to be sure, and with Game Boy Studio, the sound effects are always in channel one. So you want to be sure that the main melody of the song is not in channel one. Otherwise, the main melody is going to get cut out. So there are lots of little things like that that are both like limitations of the hardware and also limitations of the software. And uh, I did do some hacking of the engine because you can do that with Game Boy Studio, which is really cool. And it exports it into like C code, it's assembly code. I had never really used C code, but I was fairly familiar with Game Maker code, which is sort of related to that. And I got a lot of help. So I was able to do some stuff, and a lot of people showed me how to do things and it made it so that I could do certain things like change the color palette of a sprite, which Game Boy Studio didn't have built in. So Trying to think of an example of where I did that. Well, for example, when you pick up a vegetable, the vegetable is green, and then I want it to turn, turn into a heart, but I didn't want the heart to be green. So I had to use that hack to change the heart to the player's color palette because the players are always red because they're a tomato and a beet. So things like that, there's a lot going on under the hood. Wow. So you just said something that was pretty interesting. So your main character are a tomato and a beet. <laughs> yeah. So how exactly did that come come about? Is it just a lifelong fascination with vegetables or? <laughs> that is a really good question. It took me a while to settle on a tomato and a beet. I had kind of come up with an idea to do like onion boy and tomato girl, or not tomato girl, carrot girl. And then I found out that I couldn't really draw a carrot in the 16 by 16 pixels. Oh. And also found out that there's already a game with a character called Onion Boy. I think it's called like Onion Boy Commits Tax Fraud or something. It looks really yeah, good. I, I've seen that. Yeah, so I unfortunately had to scrap the Onion Boy. 
Um, and then I realized that it would be a huge hassle to change the color of the sprite depending on the um, character. So it really worked out that I ended up settling on a beet and a tomato because they're both red. And that saved me a lot of work. I don't think I thought of it beforehand, but it worked out really well. So I went through with a few different ideas. I think actually maybe it was Turnip Boy originally. Then I thought Onion. I went through a bunch of different things. Uh, originally, I don't think I had the... Like, one of the main things you do in the game is pick up and throw vegetables, kind of like Mario 2. There are some like puzzle elements with it, like... You only have so many vegetables, you have to destroy so many enemies to get a perfect score. So I kind of expanded on the Super Mario 2 formula a little bit, but I don't think that was originally there. I'm glad that I chose. Oh, yeah. Originally, I was thinking they were going to throw their heads. And I don't know why I thought that, but I ended up changing it to picking up and throwing vegetables. And I'm glad I did because Wink is a game where you can shoot as much as you want. You don't have any limits to ammo which is uh, fun, but it was fun to do one where you have limits. And I think it opened up some ways to create fun challenges and stuff. You can have like the throwing heads DLC. <laughs> and the vegetables it might be hard to get that on the Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would have to be like a sequel or something like that. Oh, but the vegetables you throw do have faces on them. So it's kind of like throwing a vegetable's head. It's also weird because the characters are vegetables, but they have bodies, but they're throwing vegetables that don't have bodies. So there's some questions created by the gameplay about what exactly is going on. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like, uh, I, I think Mario is kind of like that too, that there's like some old tie-in comic back in the day that was like all the residents of the Mushroom Kingdom were turned into the Goombas and the Koopas and stuff, and the blocks even. Yeah, and, and then like breaking the blocks, you're killing people. Yeah. yeah, they just never brought it up again. And it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I read that too, and I thought that was very weird. Like whoever wrote the instruction book that had that was being really creative, trying really hard to explain why you were doing the things in the game, and they didn't need to do it. So it added weird questions, and I like that. Yeah, it's not something we get that much uh, any, anymore these days. Um, will your game have an instruction manual? It does, yeah. I was going to bring that up. The physical copy of the game has uh, an instruction manual, and I was really inspired by that specific instruction and manual and other ones. I looked at them because I've never made an instruction manual before, and it turns out I went a little bit too far. Like, when I submitted the instruction book to the publisher, they were like, this is way longer than we expected. It has way more illustrations than it needed to. But they decided to publish it as is because it's uh, really nice. As like awesome. a little comic of the story at the beginning. And it's full color, fully illustrated with drawings I did. So I'm really happy wow. with how it turned out. And I'm really excited to see it physically. Yeah, I think uh, we are too. Um, how, what is the price point on that? What does it run you these days? So it's being released by a UK company called Bitmatsoft at uh, bitmatsoft.com, and it's £40, which translates to around $50. And I, stuff maybe I think that's fine. People, so there is a digital copy you can get to. Do you have a price point selected for the digital copy? Not currently. I'm not sure. But my goal is to make it as reasonable as possible. Let's see. Um, 
So another thing I always like to ask if you've got multiple games is uh, same universe. Is this the same universe as Wink or any of the other games you've made? Are there any little Easter eggs for people to find that maybe uh, have been playing your games all along? Yeah, I like to put Easter eggs. Um, one thing I've been enjoying doing is putting an enemy called a Dust Bunny, which is just a very weird little round enemy that moves around floors and stuff. I like, I've been enjoying putting that in, I put it in Wink first, and I, for some reason, felt like it needed to go in Ruby and Rusty, too. Are they in the same universe? I don't know. I don't know if they are. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, right now, there's no, like, when I think of the Wink universe, I think of, like, a lot of different lands and areas that haven't been explored yet, and right now, there's no connection in that way between these two worlds, but... Wink does show up in the game as an Easter egg, so that is interesting. And I thought maybe people would be like, oh, they're in the same universe uh, because Wink is in this game, but that's not necessarily true. Technically, the whole aesthetic of this game is it's a storybook, so it's uh, supposed to be like a children's book from the 1800s. So Wink could just be in the storybook. I might make it a real world. It might be connected so far. I'm not sure. But I do kind of want to do a sequel so maybe those questions will be answered in the sequel i see and uh, i also have to ask about your music is your music uh, totally independent or is it tied into your games uh originally the reason i started making music was because i needed music for my games and uh i just i was do using game makers so i started making music in garage band and uh i got really into it and I started getting more into music at that time anyway. So actually for a while, I actually stopped making games and just wanted to focus purely on my music. And I got back into making games, which I'm glad I did, but now I make both of them. And my music, there are some crossovers. Like sometimes I like to remix my songs for my games. Like um, the underground music in Wink is a song I wrote called Waves of Gold, which is on Spotify right now. Um, Under yeah. what what name, what artist's name is on Spotify for that? Max Oakland. All right. So if you want to go check that out, you can even have it running in the background when, while you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. <laughs> I recommend it. Yeah, it's on Tidal, Deezer, lots of weird streaming services. Like if you have a streaming service, it's on there. Um, and you also mentioned a magazine. You know, I got to ask about it. Yeah, my friends and I... Well, it was originally one of my friends named Dan, who he has a show on Twitch called The Hot Show, where he and he's also a musician. Um, he goes by Hot the Cat, and so that's why it's called The Hot Show. And anyway, his girlfriend at the time wanted to do a magazine that collected like art and poetry and stuff from people, and he. Well, she put out an email blast to see if anybody would be interested in helping. And I said, yeah, because I took a bunch of graphic design classes. So I have a lot of skills in that area. And you were so only making video games and music albums. It's not like you were doing enough yet. <laughs> yeah, that is a thing. I sometimes take on too many projects. Like working on Wink and Ruby and Rusty at the same time, I realized was too much. Like in the future, I'm going to stick to one big game project. And sometimes I do like game jams and stuff with like smaller games, but 
such a large game. Um, it's just like it caused both of the projects to drag out longer than if I had just been working on one. That was learn a learning experience. But I did the same thing back then, and I was like, yes, I will help you with your magazine. And she ended up not doing it, but Dan had said that, or Hot had said that he wanted to do it. So I was like, I'll do it. And so we did like four uh, volumes of it, and it got increasingly wide. Like more and more people were submitting to it from like all around the world, and it was really cool. We had a website where you could download a PDF copy, and I let it expire, but I'd like to bring it back because um, you know there. I mean, I want to start you know doing. I want to put the in the Juniper stuff back up on the web and put all the games and music and stuff. Like the music right now is on Bandcamp at inthejuniverse.bandcamp.com. So most of the things up there exist except for the magazine, which was called Alphabet Soup. Um, but it was cool. One of the cool things about it was that every volume had a different person design the cover. And then the last volume, we uh, also worked with that person to design the magazine itself. So it had an aesthetic that carried over throughout the whole magazine. and. Uh, that person was an artist called Carlene Kantner, who does pottery now. But she uh, created this really cool, like, aesthetic about, like, uh, it was from, like, phone books and, um, like, rolling them up. And, like, it looked really cool. It was really interesting because it was such an offbeat idea and it worked really well. So I really liked how that volume turned out. That's awesome. Like. That sounds really cool. And now uh, it'll be a collector's item for uh, for the Wink yeah. super fans and stuff. Oh, yeah. That reminds me. Every volume. I uh, Before I ever made a Wink game, I was making a Wink comic. And each volume has, like, one page that's a Wink comic of, like, a story of a Wink journey um, through very strange worlds. And so that is a Wink collector's item. Sweet. Man, you must be busy. I am really busy. The your, the scope of what you do is just super impressive. Between <laughs> Thanks. Like programming the game, doing the art for the game, and the music for the game. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. And it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason why I, I want to get it out there so I can, like, worry less about money and worry more about making the stuff that I want to make. So that's a goal of mine right now. So were there certain like Game Boy games that you played when you were younger, when Game Boy was still officially a thing that you could get in the store that like kind of made you want to go down this route? Well, I didn't really have Game Boy games when I was younger, um, but I played them when I was older. I've always been interested in Game Boy. Well, not Game Boy specifically. I've always been really obsessed with retro games, even when I was a kid, we always got consoles very late because we were pretty poor. So, but I also really liked them. Like I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was lacking anything at all. I was actually obsessed with retro games when I was a kid. No clue why. And uh, so, yeah, they're good. They're good games. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I was more obsessed with them than anybody else I knew, though. For whatever reason, I was really into like arcade games too, and. I liked to read about them because, you know, it was hard to get them. So basically, I didn't play a lot of those games until I was older. And uh, 
I, but I had always wanted to. Like I was kind of like obsessed with them and reading about them and stuff because I didn't have access to them. So I would also actually that's part of the reason why I started making games is because I couldn't play the games. And when I couldn't do something, I would always kind of like make my own version of it. So like I learned about Game and Watch by Nintendo, which were those like old calculator game kind of things. And I thought they were so interesting. So I designed a ton of different Game and Watch ripoffs and like tried to think of like how to make a game that would be like a Game and Watch. And I just drew them in a notebook. That's kind of how I got into making games. And my friends and I would do it too. We didn't really design the levels so much. That came later when I actually started being able to make games. And when I found out there was an application called Game Maker where I could make games, that was super exciting for me. And uh, it's really funny because my first games were just really bad because I didn't know how to do anything. And I knew they kind of sucked. Like, the first game I ever made was a top-down game with, like, a Mario sprite and... It had to be top down because I didn't know how to make gravity or anything like that. And uh, I also didn't know how to make the player stop moving. So if you pushed a direction, you would just keep going in that direction. It was really awkward. Uh, so yeah, I think you would like collect a key and then go to the next room. It was very weird, but I used like Mario characters because I wanted to make a Mario game. So to answer your question more specifically, I would, I'm really into um, Super Mario Land 2. That's probably one of the biggest Game Boy games that inspired me. Also, Link's Awakening. Uh, I really, really like that game, and I really like the world and the characters, and I think that's one of the things that kind of inspires me to have, like, sort of, like, mysterious places and people in my games, and I like to leave people wondering. I like to create, like a very subtle story about the world without explaining it very much. So there's a lot of like scenes where it takes a place in like a post-apocalyptic world. Um, and there's no detail about why it's post-apocalyptic or how far in the future from now it is or past maybe, but um, it's actually the future. But there are just details about the world that you pick up by like, the environment or like every level has three collectible items and so you can learn a little bit about the world by like what items are on the level and that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy doing um and then there are also unusual characters to talk to I um I'm still kind of figuring out the world like I like to let it kind of unfold a little bit for me I don't just make a decision ahead of time I kind of let those decisions just feel right. So right now I'm still kind of determining like, are there people in this world? Did people go extinct? Um, you know, we, well, like what's going on exactly? So it's a fun thing for me too. I'm learning about it just like the players. I'm just a little bit ahead. That sounds awesome. Uh, it sounds like it would be really fun to go on kind of that journey with you. Um, and I wanted to make sure I got in there too that uh, you, you talked about you like videos showing like people still working on consoles and how much you can get out of a console. And uh, that's something I think is really cool, too, to kind of learn the. Uh, and it's something I wonder, like, 
if we were still really trying to develop games for an old console, what is it really capable of? Because we see even, uh, like, we've talked about Fire Emblem on our uh, show a lot, because that's something, it's a game series we both really enjoy. But it was really interesting to me, the newer ones, like, even just the 3DS ones, we started with Awakening, and uh, it's uh, a criticism of the art style is that the characters don't have feet. And the reason they don't have feet is because the developers were like, well, we didn't think they were that important, but we also didn't know if we could get that many joints to like render uh, in the engine. And then for the second game on the console, Fates, they were like, oh, yeah, we, we can, it, as it turns out. And then the third game they put out on the console was Shadows of Valentia. And the animations started looking really, really clean by that point. And so it just started, I, I definitely started wondering, like, how far could we push this if we didn't move to like the switch, you know, as the successor? What if we just stayed here? And like, I wonder that for every console, like what are we capable of making it do if we just stay here for a little while? That's really interesting. I never really thought about that, but it's true that like over the course of the development of a console, like uh, they get like way better at using the console. And another thing about the NES and the Super Nintendo is they would include new hardware in the cartridges. A game made in 1985 just uses, or before, uses the bare bones hardware. And that's why the games of like early NES games are so much different from later ones. Because they did get better at using the hardware, but they also basically had a new system with some limitations. Like they couldn't increase the colors of the NES, um, but they could add like way more memory, they could add way more graphics, different cool things that could like tell the software what line it's drawing on the screen so you could change the colors to add a water effect or scroll the screen differently to add a parallax effect. And then for the Super Nintendo, they went even further and added like a 3D coprocessor called the Super FX chip. And without that, they could never have done games like Yoshi's Island or Star Fox because they just couldn't possibly do that stuff on the Super Nintendo without it. Yeah, I, f- I find that stuff all really fascinating. Um, does that mean you're putting anything in your Game Boy cartridge that we haven't seen? No, I definitely made it like bare bones Game Boy cartridge. But luckily, the Game Boy had a lot more capabilities than the NES. Like, it had twice the number of color palettes, a way bigger selection of colors like the nes has an extremely small amount of colors you can pick from like it's like 56 i think and the colors are very hard to use to make a game look good so that already sets the game boy color way ahead like you have twice the amount of colors and hundreds of times the amount of colors to pick from so that's already a huge thing and also on the nes um, you had to put your colors on the screen in 16 by 16 blocks, whereas on the Game Boy Color, it's 8 by 8. So that really helps, too. And there are a lot of little things like that, a lot more memory, all sorts of stuff. But no, my, my Game Boy cartridge doesn't have anything like that. Um, I guess technically it kind of does because it uses like a memory mapper that enables more memory, though. Like the basic Game Boy cartridge, I think, is 32 kilobytes of memory. And then you have to have special hardware to get more. And mine has one megabyte. So it's a one megabyte game. So yeah, technically, yes. 
So uh-huh. we're living in the town of luxury right now. <laughs> and it's pretty luxurious. Like a whole megabyte for a game. Lot of memory for a Game Boy Color game because the graphics are very tiny and the music doesn't take up that much space either. Yeah, I'm just imagining. We, we I know we have some game developers that listen to the show, so I'm just imagining the look of horror that some of them have on their face right now as you say, I've got a whole megabyte to work with. <laughs> They're yeah, probably it's like, crazy. Ah. It's crazy how small it is. Um, my game Wink right now, it's at four megabytes, and I want to get it down to two because it, like the way it works is it doubles, so it goes like, 32, 64, 128, and then like one megabyte, two megabytes, or four. So I just barely went over two, and so now it's four, which means the publisher will have to spend a lot more money. So I'm going to try to get it down to two. Uh, So yeah, otherwise I have like a ton of extra space. Like a four megabyte Game Boy cartridge is extremely large. The largest one ever was eight megabytes, but that was really uncommon. Like... Four megabytes is a huge Game Boy cartridge for most Game Boy games. Yeah, I'm just still enjoying this. Like some of our uh, game developers we've had on probably hear the phrase, I have one whole megabyte to work with. And then that phrase concludes with them waking up in a cold sweat. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that from my days working in Game Maker. It's a totally different ballpark. I think it's really cool that you can make a game in such a small amount of space and, you know, share it so easily. Like, I can email. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of your games run in browser, I noticed, which is really cool. Yeah, and for a long time when I was working in GameMaker, I thought, I mean, GameMaker can actually make web games. So that's one thing I want to do, but it's harder. and You have to get a specific license for it, and I never managed to to do that yet. But uh, one of the things when I was working on GameMaker, it seemed like it's hard to get people to download a game because there are so many viruses and things and installing software. People are wary of it for various reasons. So being able to uh, like let them play it in the browser, I think, is a way to prevent people from not playing it and to make it more likely that they will. Too many people have tried to download free Robux too many times. Yeah, exactly. We're wary of free Robux and viruses and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah, I definitely uh, did that to my family's computer a couple times, I have a feeling. And I don't know what it was always. Um, I never did the free free stuff like that, but... Uh, I think it was actually a more official game uh, I played. I really liked a publisher called OG Planet. I don't think they're a publisher anymore. I'm not sure if they are, but um, I noticed that any computer I downloaded their games on definitely ended up having some issues somewhere down the line. And they were like a, a legit publisher, so I don't know. But Maybe they were like Sony and installed a rootkit or something. I have no idea, but... I definitely get being wary, but I'm definitely glad that uh, it seems like you're having some success. Um, I think we're kind of coming to the end of this. Um, Do you have anything else that you really just want to make sure you hit before uh, we wrap up? We did talk about Wink quite a bit, which I always love doing. Um, Wink is available to play in a demo form on maxoakland.itch.io. And uh, right now it's in beta, so there are no limits. You can play the whole game that I've developed so far 
Uh, and it's fun. There's a lot to do, a lot to explore. And then also Ruby and Rusty. That's in a limited demo right now, but you can play like half of the game. Um, and there's also a physical pre-order available. And that's that's at bitmaps, bitmapsoft.co.uk. But you can also get there from my maxoakland.itch.io page. Um, and you can play the game there or download it and play it on a, an emulator or whatever. Um, All of these things are also linked to your Twitter page. So if you want to put your handle, oh, yeah. where, where can people find you? They can find me at, at Wink Winkerson. I absolutely love it. Um, and if people really want to support you in uh, all your artistic endeavors, what is the most helpful way for them to do that? Obviously, pre-order the the Game Boy cartridge, but what else? What else can somebody do to support you? Well, you can always buy one of my games. You know, itch.io enables you to pay as much as you want. So you could pay like ten, a hundred, a million dollars if you want, and that would be really helpful. Anyone buying my games always makes me really happy. It's really exciting. Another thing is you can do that with my music at maxoakland.bandcamp.com. So you can always uh, do those things. Those are always really helpful. Um, also, I forgot to mention that the physical pre-orders of Ruby and Rusty, the first 100 come with a physical CD of the soundtrack and a cool sticker sheet. So I would hop on that because... Those are a limited item. Yeah, I collect CDs, so I actually am one of the people that sees a lot of value in that. Cool. Yeah, I think it's uh, really cool. And I designed the artwork and the stickers, too, so I'm pretty excited about them. That's awesome. Uh, Daniel, you got any more questions that you can think of? Uh, we played around with the demos while we were getting everything set up. Um, is, is Earthbound somewhere an inspiration for for, for this? I love Earthbound. I would definitely say it's probably an inspiration. I played that actually for the first time only a few years ago, so which is crazy. But uh, I loved it. And I also started playing Earthbound Beginnings, I think it's called, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love Earthbound. I love the humor, the world, the strangeness. It was right up my alley. Yeah, it, it, it seems similar where there's like kind of like quirky characters and then like the bad guys are sort of like interesting. Like you have dust bunnies, they have all kinds of like, like not your orc or dwarf bad guys that you see in almost all the other games. So it has that like childhood wonder about it. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that because I think Earthbound is probably one of the best games. It's a lot of fun. And always really surprising. Yeah, you just you never know. Like Chris, uh, I don't think you're too familiar with it, but at the beginning of the game, you like oh. have to list your favorite food and like all these like weird sort of like extra things about yourself, and then like they just continue to pop up throughout the entire game. You you have a mother, but your father exists, but he only talks to you through the phone. So like, there's all these like super weird, quirky things where like you'll be in a house and you'll you'll go to the phone and it'll be your dad giving you advice or something. So that's pretty great. It kind of yeah. reminds me of this where there's that like fun, really like, like offbeat humor to it. Yeah, I can totally see that. I definitely think that there is a similarity there for sure. Like unashamed imagination. 
which is something you don't see in a lot of like AAA games because they have to stick to like a formula. So mm-hmm. some sometimes you're you're limited in those games, but in in your games it seems like almost anything could happen, which I think makes for a lot of fun gameplay. That's awesome. That would be a good. That's a good box quote. Yeah, <laughs> to put on the box, unashamed <laughs> imagination. No, I think it's very, very cool. <laughs> well, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had fun talking to you too. Yeah, this was a blast. I, I learned a lot about retro stuff, and I consider myself like mildly aware of retro things. So there's always room for more. <laughs> yeah, even for me. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll have to get you back on when. When we're playing Ruby and Rosie. Yeah, I'd love to. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Jake, have you ever been looking for a definitive Nintendo ranking and can't seem to find it because it's just everybody's own opinion? Honestly, all the time, Sam. Well, I'm looking for someone to give us the answers. Wait. You mean like a podcast made by two young, handsome men where they create a definitive top five list of all things Nintendo? Should we just do it ourselves? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Let's give it a shot. I'm Sam. And I'm Jake. And at Top 5 Nintendo, I'm going to give you my top five list. And I'm going to give you my top five list. And then we're going to duke it out and see what the real top five is. Has this ever happened to you? Ah, This video game is bullshit! Are you tired of gaping plot holes and boring gameplay mechanics? Look, all I'm saying is that if a full-fledged Krogan is falling off a platform, there's no way Commander Shepard has the upper arm strength to pull him up. Has reading become just too tedious of a chore? Ugh, books. Are you bored of your same three murder podcasts? Shocking, it's the butler. Allow me to introduce you to the brand new fan fiction podcast, With an X, hosted by our lovely basement dwelling and real-life Muppet, Dan McCoy. Well, that's hurtful. And myself, of course, the blonde bombshell with the blood of Odin and the great looks of Jake Busey from Starship Troopers. That's accurate. And with our powers combined. No. Oh, you never let me do what I want to do. I said no, man. We're not doing that. Ah, fine. Anyway, you can find us on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your fix from. Remember, fan fiction with an X. Hello, I am joined with Brent today, the creator of Final Profit. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Great, thanks for coming on. So tell us a kind of like what the the main part of Final Profit is about. Uh, so the main thing you do is you run a shop. Uh, it's a merchant life sim RPG. So uh, you, you spend a lot of time just kind of moving stock onto the table, getting customers to buy the stock. And the goal is just to make as much money as you can. You run a store. Does the store get like bigger over time? Is that? Yeah. So you, you start in a really small store. Uh, it's kind of like a tutorial. Then once um, you're done with that, you move on to a bigger town with a, a much bigger store. Uh, you you have to find customers in the town. You have to find products to sell in the town. Um, you you level up by selling stuff. You get XP for for um, the amount of money you make, and then that'll unlock more stuff because there's lots of stuff tied to level. 
you end up um, branching out to other things too. Like you can do some some stock market stuff. You can do some real estate stuff. Uh, there's some optional third store content that I'm building at the moment. Uh, but there's also a lot of story to, to do. So you're trying to, to, to make this money to pay off your debts and take down this corrupt organization called the Bureau of Business. Um, you're, you're an ex-queen who's been exiled because they didn't want to try your crazy capitalist idea. And um, we're, we're trying it anyway, just from scratch. And that, that's the goal, to take them down. Okay. So so there is a story. It's not just like the, the shop selling element? Yeah. yeah. It's, there's a quite a lot of story. Cool. So this is, a, we talk a lot of um, the, the typical like JRPG. So this sounds like it's a lot different than that. It's it's similarly structured to a JRPG in, in terms of the um, the story flow, but not in terms of the gameplay because you're not doing traditional combat at all. Um, you're you're barely like dealing with party members. There's no equipment or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's all about making the money however you can, and most of the time that's through the shop. But you can do other stuff as well. Okay, cool. So, what made you want to make your own game? Uh, I. I really wanted to play a game that was just shop management. And I, I tried a few of them and often it's, it still heavily leans into the combat aspect. And I didn't want to deal with, with that. I just wanted a purely economic game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I tried to build. Awesome. So is this the, the first game that you've made? No, no. I worked previously on a game called Necrobarista. Um, that's done by an indie studio. It's a cinematic visual novel. You said Necro Barista? Yes. What's that about? <laughs> uh, it's about a, a cafe in Melbourne, Australia, where that um, the dead go to and they get 24 hours before they have to move on. Okay. So, it, so is it kind of like purgatory? <laughs> you could see it a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, It draws up from a lot of um, different inspirations like that. Cool. That sounds interesting too. <laughs> so, uh, you you built this game in RPG Maker? Yes. Yes, I did. Do you do you find that to be pretty pretty good to use? I, I find it good for me, just because I'm I'm so used to it. I've done a lot of hobby games in the past using it. Uh, this mm-hmm. is my first commercial game in RPG Maker, uh, but I, I'm very familiar with how to make it do what I want and. I'm making it do a lot of things that are a bit unusual in this game. Yeah, that's what I was noticing that a, lo- a lot of the RPG Maker games have that same combat. So it must, did it require a lot of additional like kind of programming and messing around with? There's a lot going on to make it all work, yeah. Because <laughs> it looks like it it has like a decent like pace to it. Like it seems like it's kind of fast faster paced than a lot of like... Yeah, especially compared to um, the other shop games I've tried, it's it's normally quite slow with a customer coming in. They'll look at an item, they'll pick it up and be like, hey, let's haggle over this. But um, in, in Final Profit, you, they just come in. If it's an item they want, they will buy it and you can immediately put another item down. And it, it is quite fast and skill-based trying to keep everything stocked in, in time for the customers. So that kind of brought another question to my head. So how do you like get stock? It varies um, with with each thing. So at the start of the game, in the tutorial, it's all in the shop. So you go to the back of the store, you you pay for um, two of the items. You just directly pay for them, you get them, and the other one you have to spend mana to get. 
But later in the game, everything is very different. You might have to go collect other ingredients that you then craft into an item. You might have to um, uh, grow some stuff in a garden and then you get you get some fruit out of that. Uh, some of them you still buy, but usually that's that's elsewhere, although you also can upgrade those items to be moved into the store so it's easier to get more of it. Interesting. So there's a there's like an exploring element too. Yes. Yes, it's fairly open once you hit the second phase of the game. That sounds really cool. So uh, are who's like your who who is the shopkeeper? Uh, so you play a character called uh, Madama Biz. Um, she's the the queen in exile from uh, the the um, kingdom of the Fae. And like I said earlier, she didn't want she wanted to try to solve their problems with the Bureau of Business by making enough money to compete with them. But the the kingdom didn't want to have any of that. They want to try their own way of, uh, which is a bit more peaceful, but also kind of gearing up for war. Hmm. Um, and, and we're trying to avoid that, not be violent, although little little bits of violence here and there. <laughs> Mostly just try to be economical. Gotcha. So so rather than go to a war, you're trying to just kind of like like money your way out of the situation. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> they're, they're sort of trying that on us as well because um, they they have used uh, military force in the past to take over other continents, the, the Bureau of Business, that is. But against um, this kingdom, they were a bit of a stalemate in terms of force. So they're, they're trying to take over us economically, and that's what we're going to try and do back to them. Gotcha. So... Uh, you had mentioned that you had tried some other shop games and they just weren't scratching the itch properly, I guess is the way you could say that. So what, what kind of games like it did inspire this or like pushed you to make this one? The, so there's two real main inspirations. The first one is the, the mini game where you run a shop in Digimon World 1. Mm-hmm. That's quite an old game, but you, you just, um, it is a more slow pace. You have one customer come in at a time and, you haggle with them so that's that's that thing that i was trying to avoid but it's what inspired me to like shop gameplay in the first place now the the second thing that's more of an inspiration is actually um fable 2 and fable 3 with their real estate systems where you just go around buying everything because that that's another big part of this game where you can eventually unlock that and you can go around and buy every building in the game there's currently over 120 so, and so you can like rental income from that as well so you can just like buy the whole town kind of idea. You can buy the whole town. You can buy the second town, the third town, the fourth town. <laughs> There's a lot to do. Wow. So when you when you buy start buying up things, do you become like the governor of the town? Uh, you you do have some title changes, although not from the real estate. There there will be changes to the ending of the game depending on how much you've in, interacted with the real estate system, because. I don't personally consider it a very ethical thing to do. So there'll probably be consequences at the end for diving too deep into that. <laughs> this all feels so clever. <laughs> I put a lot of thought. What's that? I put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. How, how many years have you been working on this? Uh, two and a half at the moment. Wow. And I did um, three small shop prototype games first to try and get that main gameplay loop feeling really good. And you're, you're happy with how it's progressing right now? Yes, yes. Cool. It seems like you've made a lot of, like I've been following you on Twitter 
And it seems like you've been getting a lot done kind of pretty quick. Yeah, it's it's sped up recently. Um in, in game development, there's like a like a curve of um what's the word for for progress, but when you're working, I, I can't remember the word, but there's like a amount of work that you get done that starts really good at the beginning, it kind of slouches, and then it comes back up at the end. And I feel like I'm I'm coming to that end point where I'm getting really productive again. That's the word, productivity. <laughs> cool. So um what kind of hopes do you have for the game? Do you want it to be on Steam? Yep, it's going to be on Steam. Um, there's a page up at the moment. Um, I'm also planning to put it on Itch. I've got a, the demo up there now. Um, eventually, I would like to bring it to to consoles and other other platforms, but I don't have plans for that currently, just because I'm I'm focusing on getting it finished before I think about that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, uh, were there any sort of like like difficulties, like people played the demo and like couldn't figure it out, or has there were a, a few? Yeah, yeah. Um, some people. Some people found, because um, the demo covers the first 10 levels, which is all in the, the starting town, and some people found um, it was a bit slow. It wasn't representative of what the game turns into. So I bought some of the later systems, like automation and upgrades and stuff. I bought them into the first town so you can see what that feels like earlier. And then are you are you working on this alone or do you have like some other people that you work with? I'm, I'm working on it alone. I occasionally might uh, commission an artist to do a piece of art. But um, that's as far as extra help goes. Wow. It's always so impressive when people just do it like 100% on their own. It's like, it's so much work. It's so many things to balance. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That seems to be one of the the big thing. It's so talented to be able to turn out like a full game. Maybe this will (laughs) help. Yes, I definitely hope so. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so what's the, the best way to support you? Would it be playing the demo, wishlisting on Steam? Wishlisting on Steam. Uh, checking out the demo is, is really good too. Um, I'd like to have more people see what the game actually feels like. Uh, that's that's why I've, I'm making sure I keep the demo up because it's a, it's a game that's a bit different to normal. So I think it's important that people can get their hands on it, see what it actually feels like to play. Sure. And the, is there... A, a way you'd like to get feedback on the demo? Are you still looking for feedback? Or are you? I'm, I'm definitely still looking for feedback. Um, okay. there, I've got a Discord set up. There's a link to it in the demo and on the Steam page and on the website. Oh, cool. Great. So um, do you have plans to, to make another game or is this like... Oh, your, yeah. Your, <laughs> oh, yeah? Definitely. I've got a, a, a notepad full of um, scribbled ideas. Um, actually, I'll, I'll pull it up and I'll, if you'd like to hear a few examples. Absolutely. <laughs> Just give me a moment. Other RPG ideas. Oh, here, I say the one that I'm really sold on is it's another shop game, but it's got like a Majora's Mask mechanic where it's, it's three days. And at the end of it, all your money would be reset, but you keep stuff like uh, the products you've unlocked and you have to try and make as much money as you can in those three days. So... That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work, but I'd really love to do that. Um, another idea where you run a bank and you have adventurers come in and you, you kind of have to manage their their money and you invest that in stuff and have to have enough for them to withdraw if they come back for it. I, I think that'll do. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I keep a lot of spare ideas. Yeah, and anything that's like Majora's Mask immediately has my attention. That's one of my favorite games. Yeah, yeah. I, I was so tempted to add that mechanic just 
in here because one of the, the prototypes did have a time mechanic, but um, it's so much work to retrofit that in. I've decided, no, no, get it done. <laughs> that can be the next project. <laughs> I think it sounds like a cool idea though. So how many times do you get to reset back to day one? It, it would be infinite, just like Majora's Mask, um, yeah. with the goal being to like, it, there'd be some story goal where you have to, I don't know, make enough money to, to achieve something, but uh, I haven't like fleshed it out or anything. It's just just a cool idea floating around in my head. Oh, it sounds cool. <laughs> I'd be excited to play that one too. But um, uh, where, so where, where is the best way to, for people to reach you? Um, probably on Twitter at the moment, um, Final Profit RPG. I believe that's right. I'm pretty sure that's my, my thing. <laughs> yes, that's right. Awesome. So everybody should reach out and say hi, try the demo, let you know what you think. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Awesome. Well, I won't keep you any longer, but thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for having me. Of course. This was a, it was a blast. I, I didn't realize the demo was out, so I'm probably going to hang up and go try that. Let me know what you think. I, I will. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to continue the conversation with us, you can find us on Twitter at the Turn by Turn Pod. We can also be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are sold. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts would mean the world. We will talk to you soon. Bye.